You're listening to Turn on the Jets Live. You're listening to Turn on the Jets Live. You're listening to Turn on the Jets Live. Well, that's fun. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Turn on the Jets Live. I'm your host, Steven Zance, joined by my co-host, Steven Russo. Very, very special guest, Dan Essien of Badlands, host of uh, Buck the Trend, the defensive line guru in my eyes. Guys, how we doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. What's going on, fellas? Glad to be on with you. Been Thanks for coming on, Dan. We, uh, I feel good, man. We're, we've made it through. We're uh, <clears throat> pretty healthy going into week one. Next thing, I mean, we're, we're less than two weeks out from Monday Nighter against Buffalo. So I'm pretty psyched, man. Steve, how about you? I'm feeling good. It was good to finally meet Dan at the Badlands Watch Party. Thanks for everybody who showed up. It was a great time. I feel like we all were super nervous once, you know, Rodgers was in the game. And then as soon as he took him out and we saw that touchdown, we all were feeling good. Stopped really worrying about the game and just had some good conversation about the Jets and just hanging out and meeting everybody. But uh, it was it was a great time, Dan. Did you have a good time? Oh, yeah. It was awesome. It was good to see everybody out there. There's the amount of people that showed up, where everybody came from, and it was such an awesome, pleasant surprise to uh, to hear all the stories and see everybody's faces. So it was yes. good. I'm sorry I missed li- out, man. You, you were definitely far. missed. You definitely <laughs> <missed>. <laughs> anyway, fellas, we do have a football team to talk about. And the initial 53-man roster was released yesterday. And obviously, a couple guys were claimed off. No one really of note. And the practice squad is still coming together. So, Dan, I want to pass it to you to start this off. What was your initial reaction to the 53-man roster? And then, Russo, you go. Man, I felt we had felt like we had so many things that we were considering and so many avenues and possibilities we were considering, especially a wide receiver, uh, that really at the end of the day, especially with the Corey Davis news, like towards, uh, you know, uh, before all this really started to, to, to transpire, I think it made things a lot clearer, made things a lot easier for the Jets because I think they really like Brownlee. They really like Gibson. Uh, and at the end, in the end, they didn't have to make a choice. They just kept both. So, uh, you know, it, it turned out to be, I guess, less of a, a concern. I think there's still kind of conversations about whether or not they're as deep as they need to be at that position, of course. Uh, and you do see, you know, Irvin Charles making the rest of there. You're kind of like, mm. like <laughs> maybe there is something else on the way, <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I think that that wide receiver group was, was really the one that everyone was kind of keying in on. And uh, it's good to see that, you know, they got to keep Gibson and Brownlee, but uh, yeah, I, w- I would expect that they're probably not done there uh, before the season, but we'll see. Russo, what about you? What were your thoughts on the initial 53? Yeah, I think obviously I agree with Dan. I think the wide receiver position was probably the most surprising because with the Corey Davis news, you figure, okay, like the battle between Brownlee and Gibson was was probably going, you know, they were going toe-to-toe. And if Corey Davis were to stay on the team, it was probably going to be one or the other. But then once Davis retires, like, okay, you know, maybe there's a spot for both. But the Irv Charles thing is definitely surprising. Outside of that, um, you know, based on – kind of the way that the last year and then this preseason has gone, I'm kind of surprised that Bryce Hall remains on this roster. And I wonder what's going mm-hmm. to happen there. Cause I really do think like, you know, going from starter basically in 2021 to this, the struggle really last year in, in spotty service. Um, and then really this preseason just really has been, has struggled to cover backups. He hasn't looked very good. So I'm surprised he remains. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I would like to say that I'm surprised that Ashton Davis made the cut, but I'm not, man. He's that guy. You can't get rid of him. But other than that, yeah, it's really, it was Irv Charles uh, making the, the 53 and, um, and Bryce Hall staying on this team. I, I thought that was going to kind of shake out differently. But that's other than that, it seemed pretty chalk for me. Yeah, I mean, Bryce Hall, I think the main reason he made the team is because Eccles is suspended for week one. I think yeah. there could be a scenario where either he's A, cut after week one, or B, moved to the practice squad. So 
I wouldn't really put anything behind that just yet. I think they just wanted to have some depth because he does have starting reps, whereas nobody else, I guess, who they could have chosen does. Um, Irv Charles also, I know you guys hit on this, and that was the guy I was going to talk about because he always just seemed like this guy has been hanging around the last two years. We never thought he had a realistic path to the roster. But I think what they like about him is the size. I think he kind of has the Corey Davis type build. I think he's 6'4". Corey's about 6'3", and he's a little bit thicker of a receiver. So big body guy to, in case Lazar were to go down, they have that kind of target. But um, I was actually surprised, and we shouldn't have been surprised by this because, you know, Salah hyped him up in hard knocks that Surratt actually made the team. I, to be honest with you, did not think he'd end up making the team. I know he obviously had a good Hall of Fame game, but then you didn't really hear much about him since then. I know he was a little banged up, but I was a little surprised about that one. What did you guys think about that? Yeah, that was that was, <laughs> that was was definitely interesting. Uh, it, it was one of those where, because, yeah, after the Hall of Fame game, of course, everybody saw hard knocks. Uh, like, Robert Sella obviously clearly loves, he loves him. Uh, and so you're like, cool, like he has a great first game. That's going to really like really improve his chances, but he's got to show up a little bit more. And yeah, we didn't really see much else. So I think we're kind of just going off of, you know, what we've seen. And then you know, <laughs> staff is probably seen more in, you know, private practice and all that. But, you know, uh, it's an interesting one. I think, I think, uh, I mean, you know, as the head coach, you're going to have a few, a few levers you can pull, of course, but um I mean, they weren't necessarily super deep at linebacker either way, so I think he probably took a little bit of the uh, uh, the reins on that one. It feels like, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, definitely surprising on this one. I kind of just have to yield to Robert Sala. Like linebacker is kind of his bread and butter, so I trust in, in his judgment. I mean, and I think yeah, from Hard Knocks uh, episode one, where he's saying that's his guy, it's really no surprise. But yeah, it was it was a big Hall of Fame game for him, obviously. But after that, it leveled out, but. Um, you know, I trust in Robert Sala, especially on that side of the ball and with that position specifically. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I know they've been talking about on Badlands, and I think it's definitely true, is that they're probably going to play a lot of three safeties. So I think that that kind of will be like a de facto linebacker. And maybe they'll even line Jermaine up a little bit in a different spot because he's technically listed as linebacker, but we all know he's really an edge rusher. But like an edge is like, it's a, it's whatever you want it to be. It could be an outside linebacker or it could be a defensive end. It's really about like contingent on the scheme. And Dan, I know you could definitely go into that because that is your bread and butter is all about defensive line play and edge pressure. So we could talk about that more later. But I do want to pass it to you guys to talk about Roger's debut, which we kind of talked a little bit about in the open. But Russo, what was your thoughts on seeing Aaron Rodgers finally oh taking a real life snap for the Jets? I know your eyes just lit up it, and then I'll pass it to Dan. It was obviously you go into it and you're so nervous just to come out healthy. Like, and we yeah. talked about it last week, like that Giants game is cursed. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> Sanchez, Pennington, like, but I, I really did. I supported the decision to play the starters and we talked about it last week. Like I saw how excited the starters were to actually suit up and get one you know, quick run through in prior to, to game one of the season, but Roger specifically, like, it's just, it's so nice having that, that kind of quarterback out on the field and to cap it off with a touchdown to Garrett Wilson, like, could it have gone any better? I guess uh, if they'd done it on the first drive, that's probably the only thing that that could have happened that would have been better, but capping off with a, a pretty just on the nose ball to Garrett Wilson for a touchdown to end it like, that's just incredible. So I, having a guy of this caliber is, is something that Jets fans have never seen. I, I mean, it's just, we don't have anything to compare it to. It is like next level on any, in any comparison to anything that we've had in any of our fandom. 
Dan, what about you? Before the the, the tequila and beers were flowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was it was awesome. It was awesome. I think a lot of, uh, I think I think I talked to this with about maybe five or six people where we were all just like, man, it's good to see someone drop back, and you're expecting all good things. Like you're actually mm-hmm. surprised if it doesn't go well. Like the, the throw that went over Uzama was like, oh wow. I suppose to like, you know, right. So, so like, yeah, it, it's just way different. It's way different. And it's, it's, it's a, it's, we deserve this, you know, it's been, it's been so long. It's been so long of, of fearing every drop back um, uh, to have this kind of feeling of confidence. And I, it's not just us, obviously it's within the team as well. Uh, the the type of drive that they had on the scoring drive or oh, yeah. it was like a little bit of a short field but it's just a methodical drive picking the defense apart outsmarting defense uh getting them on their back heel like those drives are we're not used to those type of drives right we're but not. we have to we have to you know we have to get used to it now this is just how it's going to be run it's not like a um like it, it's just different you know it's different when your offense is moving the chains we've been getting uh making progress down the field giving your defense a rest and then uh, putting points on the board at the end of it so it's yeah it's it's beautiful it's good to see <laughs> it, it's the first time that you really had that glimpse of the jets playing offense you know in this era of football like <laughs> yes. these, like superstar quarterbacks because when you think about it it's like we had sanchez who like you know he had like one really like solid year but then he imploded in 2011 um and then obviously you know we had our Fitz era we had gino we had uh, zach sam mccown it just never felt like we were like a modern day offense. And now we're like seeing the quick game, just the different types of play designs, the rollouts. It's just, it's weird. But like in the best possible way. And I'm like, you just seen that touchdown. It's just gorgeous. You're like a Jets quarterback has never been able to do that in our entire lifetime. Like even like Favre, who was obviously, you know, a wizard as well because of all his experience. Like he just can't do the things that Rogers mm. can do with his arm. And exactly. Garrett just making that play. It was just like perfect placement. It, it's just like it's like you're just dreaming about what the potential could be with these two and like we've been hearing about it all summer the connection's real it's only going to grow and it's like garrett's like if he didn't get to 1500 yards if he stays healthy like i would kind of be surprised like mm-hmm. he got to 1100 with three different quarterbacks four if you count Stravler coming in for like a half but like I'm just so giddy and I, I don't even really know how to like feel because it doesn't feel real. <laughs> and, you know, for, for all of us, I think for me though, the, the cherry on top is like getting the sneak peek under the tent and, and inside the huddle with hard knocks and one jets uh-huh. drive. Like that is just, it's spectacular. Just listening to him and the, you know, the shit talking and getting, you know, <laughs> mad in practice, but rectifying and getting the guys back in the right spot and going after like, it's just everything. It's it's tailor made for a Jets fan right now, and we just we're on top of the mountain. We couldn't be happier right now. It's it's uh, it's incredible. Our quarterbacks have been like deer in the headlights because none of them <laughs> have known how to lead. They've always been these young guys who are not like you know these superstars who've been there before. And it's like the second he walks out that practice field, like everyone follows his lead. Like I loved in Hard Knocks last night. He's like seventeen, come to my office. Like mm-hmm. those like little things. You're like this is just freaking sweet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, oh, it's great. But uh, we, I do want to move to another part of the offense because it's been, you know, the biggest storyline throughout training camp. And now as we head into the season, this, the starting offensive line is set. Obviously, we have Brown, who's finally returned from injury over the last few weeks. We have um, Lakin, who is a Dan favorite. I know he was a little bit upset by his boy last year, but I think he's going to bounce back. It's a better offensive line year over year. We have McGovern for now. And then we have AVT and Mackay back on the right side. So, 
then you are a trenches guru. What, how do you feel about this offensive line heading into the season? Yeah. So I definitely feel uh, slightly better than I did. I would say probably like two months ago, uh, okay. which is ironic because nothing really changed. Uh, <laughs> it's just people got healthier and Makai Beckton agreed to play right tackle, which is really yes. the main thing there. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see them in the run game. I think running right is going to be money. Like truly if Makai Beckton looks as good as he's looked so far uh, and he's just throwing people around like he always does uh, running right with him in AVT is unstoppable really. Um, if they're, if they're both right. Um, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I think the depth is scary. Um, I think they have better depth than last season though. So yes. as scary as it is, we've been through it. So I do want you fans to understand that. Like when we were starting Max Mitchell last year during, you know, a little bit of a run, everyone forgot that we were starting in the middle of a big run. It was kind of just like, yeah, he's playing. All right. All right. Let's keep winning. (laughs) So, so the, the depth is, is, is like, you know, it could be better. We were hoping that they would make more additions in the off season, but at the end of the day, it's probably like middle of the pack in the NFL. Um, And if everyone at the top performs up to their capability and they're all healthy, which is really the key for the basically the entire season. Um, I think they can get enough out of that offensive line to really have a uh, functional offense. Yeah, I agree. Just be middle of the pack. You don't need to be a top 10 offensive line. Middle of the pack is right. totally fine. It's better than what we've seen the last like seven or eight years. Russo, what are your thoughts now that Makai has officially won the job? Yeah, I mean, I think we talk so much about getting the best five out there. And I think if healthy, that this is the best five. I feel a lot better about the depth. I agree with Dan on that. Specifically on the interior, I think we all feel better, right? If there was someone to go down at center or guard spot, you feel better about who's filling in there. I wonder if, and and that's really where the question comes in, right? Because you have, what, 38, 39-year-old Dwayne Brown and then Makai Becton on the right side who's got a history of injury. So if one of those happens, then what's next? Do they kick AVT out to right? kick Makai over to left if Dwayne goes down or, you know, something like that, some variation like that, because they do feel better uh, about their, I mean, I'm assuming they feel better about their interior depth, Um, but that's going to be the question. But I feel, you know, this is the best five. And I do feel like if they stay healthy that, yeah, this could be a a unit that performs in the top half of the league. And with the weapons that they have on offense, like if you get that, this offense could be scary good. They don't have to be, you know, this whole line doesn't have to be 2009, 2010 good, but if they're, you know, 14 to 18, in the league, I think we got to feel pretty good about that, and I think that's enough to get this offense really to the next level, something that we haven't seen in a long time. Dan, I mean, is that – like what's your thought on if, you know, worst comes to worst and we do experience a, a an injury on either tackle spot? Like is that what you think happens? Do they feel confident enough in a Max Mitchell or something to, to keep the O-line the way it is, or would they kick AVT out to either tackle and then, you know, kind of play, uh, you know, musical chairs there? Yeah, I, actually, I think that the key in all of that is going to be Schweitzer. They liked him a lot mm-hmm. throughout the offseason. And then once AVT got healthy, they're like, okay, cool. You can rest. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think they like him a lot. So I do think that AVT will probably be the one, especially if it's the right tackle slot open, that would, that would move out. Um, he's good enough. He's probably better than their backup tackles, to be honest, at the position. Uh, and I think Schweitzer is, is just that much good enough on the inside yeah. uh, that he would, he would probably be in the one to take over the an inside role as AVT moves out. So I, I think that would probably be what they end up doing. If we do come across that, hopefully not. 
Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. I mean, you have, you know, an ace in your pocket with AVT. I mean, he's got, his ceiling is unbelievably high at guard, but to have the flexibility to kick out the tackle in the event you need it. I mean, that's something that not many other teams have. And that, that's, yeah. I think we do have to kind of peel that back. Right. Dan, like when you think about it, like how many, how many teams really feel good about their OL depth if one of their starters goes down, Dude, you know, not, not many. Right. right? So <laughs> I, we're in the same boat as everybody. It's just, we got to hold it up and it's a, it's an open wound from last year. That's that was really the the reason, the biggest reason for the last six games of last year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's offensive line is just not what it used to be. I feel like everyone's having the same issues. I mean, like, look, there's teams like Philly who have the bet like the best, best offensive line in the league. Kansas Kansas City has a good offensive line. San Francisco, you can go down the list of about like five to six teams. Dallas is not what it used to be. I remember Dallas when they had like Zach Bargain, Ty Smith. And uh, Travis Frederick, they were like this insane offensive line. It's not the same anymore. Ty yeah. Smith is really old. Zach Martin's still very good. And they don't have Frederick anymore. So it's like, it's a dying art. And like the Jets are in the same spot. Yes, they obviously have questions at the bookends, which is, you know, scary because ultimately you need, that's like the fate of your quarterback, especially on the blind side. But like their interior is obviously very solid, assuming that Lakin can ret- return to maybe like, 80% of what he was in 2021, I'm not expecting him to be Pro Bowl Lakin. He's past 30 at this point. Typically, that's when you're going to see a little bit of a de- deterioration of play. But, like, look, they just need to be average, like I said. And I, I do feel much better because Mekhi's in shape. He's showing that he can do what they're putting on this plate. The next step is, you know, full 60 minutes. Can he do it? Like, we'll find out. I'm still a little scared. And, like, you know, I'm, I'm guarded because, like, all of us were like Beckton is like icing on the cake at this point. Like whatever he gives you is like an added bonus because let's be honest, nobody thought he'd actually be starting on opening night. I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said to you a month ago that I believe that he was winning this job, but granted they had a plan in place and none of us were aware of and whatever it was, it worked. So a testament yeah. to them to figuring yeah. this thing out. Um, you know, just one more thing. Like the thing that I have to consistently remind myself of is as bad as 2020 was right. Like Mackay Beckton was a bright spot. And I I go, I think I said it last week, but I go back to watching him like going to the sidelines and yelling at Adam Gase to continue to run behind, (laughs) behind him and on that left side. And that was with Frank Gore running the ball. Ty Johnson too. Yes. So like, let's think about it now on the right side with AVT next to him, next to him and Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook running Mm. the ball. Right. So like, we have to, you know, like kind of just appreciate it for a little bit and let's, Let's hope that things play out the way that we think they can, because I think, honestly, if it just comes to 75, 80% of that, it could be scary good. It, it really can. Um, I do want to shift to the other side of the ball, the trenches on the defensive side. This is Dan's pride and joy. I feel I like. I can't wait for this. Oh, I, I know. I'm so excited to hear Dan I... talk about this. <laughs> Dan, I hope that you don't feel a little too much pressure to deliver here, but. I almost uh, knocked Dan. over my camera. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, but um, I do want you to give us a little bit of a breakdown of your, your feelings on the room because now it's finalized. Uh, we're yeah. all so happy that Tanzel Smart ended up coming back onto the practice squad because yeah. I do think there's a chance he's called up to the big the big squad at some point because injuries do happen and someone's going to be hurt in some capacity. So, Dan, give us you know a breakdown. You know Maybe you're like your three favorite guys on the line and then give us a big, bold prediction and something that maybe – like fans who aren't as like big into D line play wouldn't necessarily think about when they're thinking about the trenches. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say the focal points on that defensive line, you're going to obviously look at Quinn, Quinn and Williams. Uh, and then you want to take a look, of course, at Jermaine Johnson, who's on the rise right now, as much as Carl Lawson is seemingly healthy from what we're mm-hmm. hearing, he's going to be, you know, practicing. 
Um, I think Jermaine Johnson's kind of where to lean there because they gave him the opportunity and he didn't mess up. He, he he took full advantage of the opportunity he had. So I think that will probably get rewarded uh, with more playing time. Um, and yeah, so I think Quinton Williams, of course, Jermaine there. And then Bryce Huff is the other one for me. And there's so many people to choose from. Truly not choosing uh, JFM here is hurting me, but Bryce Huff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bryce looked ridiculous in uh preseason he looked like he didn't need to be playing with anybody else out there uh he just beats everyone and i love uh something that we always said uh or we, we were saying uh towards the beginning of the of the preseason when he was kind of uh just do, playing around and messing with second and third string tackles we were like i mean he does this against starters too and then i think somebody some analyst was uh, saying something about it. And then he quote tweeted and was like, yeah, I just get starters too. So it was, it was good to see Bryce kind of like understand like, yeah, no, 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 no. Like I'm not, I'm not like, like everybody else. I'm one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. So it's good to see him having that confidence that the rest of the defense seems to have. Um, so yeah, I'm, ex- I'm so excited about those three. Um, I I can't wait to, to see them in action. A lot of what we're going to see, uh, I think from a pass rush perspective is the improvements of the edge players, particularly all the young ones uh, is only going to complement all the additions that they've made inside. You got, we got a little bit of a glimpse of Quentin Jefferson and it's absolutely terrifying for every, (laughs) every opposing offensive line, because all he was saying all off season was I finally get to be in a defense where I get to be aggressive and like the first splash play we see from him, he's just splitting the uh, you know, guarded center and making a play in the backfield. And he's like, yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this is exactly what I was saying. Like I finally get to be aggressive. I'm going to make some plays. Um, so it, it's going to be really cool to see. Cause yeah, that, that I think I was worried about, you know, Sheldon Rankin's departure and like all that, how they would replace it. And they, they replaced it well. So they did a great job. Um, I think the depth inside is, is where there's like a little bit of fear. Um, but I think, Man, with 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 the the talent that they have, if everyone uh, can stay healthy, and I think they should, with uh, John Franklin Myers not having to play edge as much, with uh, the improved depth at edge, uh, getting to kick inside a little bit more often, Quentin Jefferson uh, supporting there, Al Wood supporting there, um, yeah, I think. Look, the the ceiling is there, there. There is no ceiling. I truly think that they could be the best defensive line in the NFL uh, if everyone stays healthy and you get. The like we, I talked about a little bit in on uh, Buck the Trend. If you get the leap from Jermaine Johnson that he's sh- he's shown so far, and honestly he's he's further along than I thought he would be at this point, uh, then yeah, you're you're looking at like a team that could have the best defensive line in the NFL. Oh my god! And like not <laughs> I, so I obviously I yield to Dan here. This is your this is your baby. Yes. This is this is no knock on you because this is just how it goes when you're talking about the Jets. Like we didn't even mention Will McDonald, right? And that that's just that's, that's how it goes. Of it. that's that's how it goes with this D line group is it's just so deep and there's so many guys and like JFM's your favorite and you barely <laughs> touched on them because there's so many other pieces. Yeah, I really, Dan, I agree with you. I, I feel like this defensive line could be scary good, potentially the best Jets defensive line that we've seen outside of the sack exchange, which I think is all it's it's beyond our times. But right, I've obviously heard stories. So, I mean, like how good can this really be? Like, could this, could, could they lead the league in sacks this year from this D line? Like, is that what you're thinking? Is that kind of the ceiling here? So what I like, and this is, I'm going to work my way to my answer here. <laughs> okay. Take your time. Uh, 
what I like is that the AFC East has some terrible offensive lines. That's <laughs> true. Uh, and they already exploited those offensive lines last year. Uh, the Buffalo game, just both tackles just getting wrecked for the entire game. Um, it's only going to get worse, especially with further depth on the edge, further uh, variety on the edge. Like you're going to get, uh, you know, six foot two Bryce Huff running circles around you. Then you're going to get like a Condor and Will McDonald, who's like, oh man, this guy's kind of built like like Max, like a young <laughs> Max Crosby a little bit. And then he's, he's inside spinning you and he, you don't know where his arms are going. Uh, and then you get Carl Lawson coming at you, who's like a vet. Just like a muscle ham, like just like a, a rocked up dude, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, uh, coming at you and like just running through your face. So like, um, there's just so much variety that they can give to to the offensive lines uh, across the league. And I think specifically in the AFC East, they're going to run through those offensive lines because they're just not good, and they didn't get much better <laughs> in the off season. Um, so uh, I think that will give them a leg up on the competition. I think they're going to be top three. I don't think they're going to be one only because the Steelers exist. Uh, Interesting. I think, I think the Steelers are going to be ridiculous. Again, uh, their sack totals are insane. Again, every time I look at Highsmith's total from last year, because I think he had 15 and a half. I don't understand that. I don't know how that's possible. It's probably just all TJ Watt. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they have a special line there and they have my my guy, Nick Herbig, uh, who I've been retweeting about all mm-hmm. the entire preseason so they they they're stacked. Uh, so I do think that they'll probably leave the NFL in sacks. But uh, I think the Jets will probably be top three. Uh, okay, so it's the Jets, Pittsburgh, and who's who's third? Philly. You throw Philly. them in there. Exactly. Yeah. I think the Jets can be second. Okay. I think I mean, if everything breaks right, yeah. yeah. I can't yeah. act. I can't act disappointed in that. I mean, beggars exactly. can't be choosing. You know what's <laughs> interesting, Dan. You didn't include Dallas, and a lot of people think Dallas could be the best defense in the league. I just think they have a lot more top end talent. I don't think the depth is there, right? Yep, a hundred percent agree. Yeah, uh, I think they're. I think Michael Parsons is one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think their defensive line is pretty good. I think their overall defense is uh, is like a, they're a good solid unit. I don't have that as much faith as I think everybody else does in their overall prospects. Uh, But yeah, like you're saying, the top end talent is very good, but I think as a unit, I'm kind of like, okay. I mean, listen, that's fair. Every, every, every unit is built differently and it's different schemes. I mean, Quinn's a great play caller. So I do think they'll be fairly tough and we get to see him week two. So maybe, maybe you'll be taking that back after depending on how that game goes, but really quickly before we transition into some hard knocks talk, Dan, how would you compare the way this defense looks to what Salah was running in 2019 when that Niners team broke out? Because I feel like that is kind of like the blueprint. It's a different. It's different because the Jets' secondary is significantly better than that one. So, how would you compare the two? So, I think that uh, I might have said this before, but I'm not sure. I it's think okay. that say it again. <laughs> I think that what Robert Sala is doing right now with the Jets is a mix of everything that uh, he's seen work on uh the 49ers and the seahawks um i think i might have written about this that was the difference because i'm like i didn't i don't remember these words coming out of my mouth the okay. <laughs> um i think that the secondaries that uh, of course he got to experience uh in seattle uh i think that he understood that having a lockdown or one or two lockdowns on the outside uh with you know solid slot play he's like great if i if i can get three deep at corner right and i can um 
you know, add a dominant defensive front to that, then I'm actually okay. Like I can, I can make do with a solid secondary and an attacking front um, that can get to the quarterback. Um, and then of course, you know, figure it out on offense. I think that he's taken uh, the defensive line approach from, from San Francisco. I think the piece in the middle is where I was always confused early on in Salah's uh, tenure. So I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get what his strategy is as a linebacker. I thought he'd be doing more. I thought he would try to get younger and more athletic. Uh, but really, it was just like C.J. Mosley body transformation, and that's literally it. He's mm-hmm. like, give me anything. Give me a seventh rounder. I'll figure it out. Give me an undrafted guy. I'll figure it out. <laughs> don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. They, they basically just like him and Obrick have basically just agreed. Like, don't worry about linebacker. And every like everything else is just a mixture of what uh, you know the front from San Francisco and the secondary from Seattle, uh, and it's it's working really well. So I think it's comparable to that San Francisco team, of course, in the attacking front. But yeah, the the, the way that they've they've built the secondary is completely different. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to see. Yeah. Dan, I got just one more question on the defense as a whole for you. I've been I've said you know for a while now on the show. And I think a lot of Jets fans agree is like, there's, you can't take away how good that Jets defense was last year and how big of a jump they had from 21 to 22. Right. But that last six game stretch, I think, you know, teams kind of dinked and donked because they knew you get to 16, 17 points, you're probably going to win the game. How much does having Aaron Rodgers and an improved offense in your eyes really change the, the game for Sala and this Jets defense? overall really like you know i i just have a feeling they're not going to be able teams aren't going to be able to dink and dunk right is that going to change the landscape for this jets defense in 23 yeah it's going to change everything uh teams were very very safe against the jets because they're like i could run the ball 30 40 times uh i i it actually doesn't this is like the 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 key for for the difference between last year and this year a team can't say I literally do not care if I get a first down on this drive because I know that's not going to do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like it, it, you're going to be constantly on edge, constantly trying to push the ball down the field and it's going to lead to mistakes. And that's why like as much as the Jets didn't get any takeaways last season, it, it was like the one area that the defense didn't do well. A lot of that was because teams are just like, great, if you're not going to give us that, we don't need it. You know what I mean? We'll take what we can get. We'll try to move down the field. Eventually, you're going to get tired, and then we'll just keep running the ball. We'll keep moving the ball down the field because your offense isn't doing anything. They're just going to keep throwing you out there. You're going to get exhausted. Uh, teams can't really rely on that anymore. They're just going to have longer drives. They're just going to put points on the board. Teams are going to have to be playing from behind. And the Jets, when they're up, and truly, uh, I think if the Jets have a two-score lead, the game is close to, to done, truly. <laughs> Um, because it's they you can't catch up to that like they're they're not going to slow down much um with what they have thankfully um in a good matchup Uh, the offense can like sustain drives they have two great running backs um the offensive line if healthy uh is going to be a lot i feel a lot better about them running the ball than i do Mm -hmm. about uh, pass protection um, and you, you can tell that Salah's been trying to instill that mindset of like, like you better like toughen the hell up this offseason because we're going to run the damn ball. And I think the offensive line is starting to get the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is this is that type of season where um, if you if you can if you can give them a lead, you can stack things up. Yeah, they're going to they're going to close out the game for you. Like we we're, were still out of that last year where like the Bills game, right? Mm-hmm. We're kind of confused as to how the Jets were in the game the entire time. Uh, <laughs> at home and we're like, what's going on here? Uh, and then they, you know, they eventually get like a two score lead, and you're like, wait, what's going on? And you see the defense, like when they get that big lead, and Sean's like, well, I have to drop back now and try to get us back in the game. Defense is like, 
good luck. <laughs> you know, yeah. Bryce, up, Bryce coming off the edge, dribble yeah. ball out. You know, like that. Those are the type of games that we're going to get get to see more often. Is hey, yeah. we're we're behind. We got to we got to pass the ball, and it's just not going to work. And that's, Play I mean, right I guess that's why you go get Aaron Rodgers, right? You get a seven yeah. or a 10 point lead. And then you let guys like Bryce Huff and Carl Lawson and Jermaine Johnson and Will McDonald Pitters back and just go get the quarterback. And, and yes. you're, you're rotating those four guys on the edge yes. and just, you know, and they're fresh. And, and I really, I think, you know, I, I'd probably, I like Salah's comments, finally kind of explaining the rotation a little bit more in depth and uh, it makes us understand a little bit better. Cause I know that was a gripe of mine uh, in the early, you know, early stages of Salah's tenure here it was like, well, Quinn is the best player on the D line. Like, why is he on the field? And now mm-hmm. as you see how deep it is, you truly start to get it. And you're, and, and he did a good job of explaining that too, was, uh, you know, listen, that's the, you know, that right guard fighting for his life and he's dealing with fresh DLs every friggin' play <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, so I, I thought good, good by him on, on taking that question and answering it that way. Yeah, and I mean, we all talk about this. The turning point is since that fight on the side of Ulbrich in the Cincinnati yes. game. We've yeah. never questioned a thing that they've been doing from a strategy standpoint because that is like a moment it clicked because they, like, they obviously didn't play well on offense that week, but they, they started to figure it out on defense and then carried over to that major winning streak. So it's like, just just trust Ulbrich. And like now that you're seeing Ulbrich like, behind the scenes in Hard Knocks, the guy's just the man. Like He's just crazy. I feel like he... He almost has like the Salah as a defensive coordinator energy where he's just like, you know, so juiced up and just going crazy. I thought that's how Salah probably was when he was just lead defense. But man, it is Dan, people who are gonna listen to this video live are just gonna be like, wow, I'm my eyes are lighting up thinking about the Jets going against the Buffalo offensive line making Josh Lives, Josh Allen's life hell. Because honestly, like even our defense might be his kryptonite. It, it really might be. I mean, let, let's hope for you know, I don't wanna I'm knocking on wood because anything's possible, but Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. If they're, if they're, if, especially off the edge, Josh Allen's ball security is, is, you know, as long as he's been in the league, it's still not that great. Most so, stable, not as good either. True. Exactly. Exactly. And so. bef- before, before we get off defensive line, I got to say real quick, cause yes. you're right. I did it. I, 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 as much as I want to move on, I have to mention, I have to mention Will McDonald <laughs> prospects. The key for Will McDonald is, <laughs> If he, because basically what you're hoping for year one, you know, before we saw the things that we saw was like, great, get through year one, learn from from everybody in front of you. You get a couple of reps in, you get two, maybe two or three sacks. So it's, it's great. That's good stuff. Set you up for next year. Uh, I think the key will be to watch what happens with him and Jermaine Johnson. I think with Jermaine Johnson just exploding right now, um, it's pushing things a little bit, right? Uh, and Carl Lawson's health is a big factor there. Uh, Carl Lawson's contract is also running out. So we will see what will happen next year and we'll see what will happen uh, at the trade deadline. But um, I think that if Will McDonald can push, things will change. I will, I will, I will say that. Um, I think that he looks really, really good. Uh, I think his pass rush plan is ridiculous. He's literally just playing around and trying stuff out like at this point. Um, so I, I think if he can show that he's ready, uh, it will speed up the plan, I Mm -hmm. believe, (laughs) uh, at edge. So I think it's something to keep an eye out for because you don't keep your good, you don't keep your best players off the field. Basically. There's no reason to do that, especially this year. 
Yep. You you nailed it, and I appreciate this, Dan. Honestly, this was this was just like music to my ears. So <laughs> you could you I can listen to you talk about the defensive line and the defense in general for hours because yeah, it's just you break it down in a way that's just so enjoyable and just digestible for people who don't understand these things. Because like I didn't play, I don't know, Russo. I don't even actually know if you played or not when you were younger. Did mm-hmm. you? Nope. Anyway, so I don't understand the interest intricacies the way you do. So it's like oh man, it's it's so much fun here. <laughs> so. Um, we will transition to Hard Knocks, and it no one's going to debate this. It was the best episode, and I don't think that the fifth episode could top it. Like, endless amounts of things. The Sopranos with Sala driving to the stadium was just incredible. I know Joe was probably feeling like a kid at a candy store watching that. They literally did it perfectly, and it's HBO. It's it's not even a competition between that one just drive. The whole thing with Rogers and Jihad Ward, I mean, like, look, Rogers, he has that fire. He's, like, saying, who are you? Like, you know, I don't even know who you are. It's Jihad Ward has been on eight teams just trying to say, oh, I don't know who Aaron Rodgers is. You've only been watching him probably your entire life. <laughs> but like the ba- but honestly, the coolest thing really was just seeing the Bronley and um, Xavier Gibson relationship and also just really how high this team is has been on Xavier Gibson. Like I feel like we didn't really think that he had a shot at making the roster until maybe like the last like week or so. It doesn't seem like he was ever in, in danger of not making the team. And think about this, like, Joe Douglas, he obviously has had his issues from a draft perspective, especially in 2020, but he's hit on a lot of UDFAs. And then there's also the man who's been frozen like Captain America, Tony Adams. It's crazy. Like, how do we get all these UDFAs? Bryce Huff as well. It's like, I, I'm just curious. I, I was just so excited. There were so many great moments of that episode, especially like Rogers, like yelling at the team and then obviously them responding. But uh, Russo, what was your favorite moment from the show last night? Because it was incredible. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and I think it gets better each and every episode. Like, I think for yeah. me, progressively, two has been better than one, three better than two, and four better than three. So uh, who knows what could happen next week. But yeah. I think you hit on a lot of good ones. My favorite part, though, Stephen, was the thing that you just mentioned, was the offense struggling in practice, Rodgers getting frustrated with it, Garrett, 17, step into my office, let's yeah. run this, let's figure this out, and them going down and scoring. And that was just – Honestly, it just was the perfect way to kind of summarize what Aaron Rodgers brings to this team. Um, I really, that was my favorite part of the episode. And I also, I, I got a soft spot for Nathaniel Hackett. I really, I, I do. I, I just, I liked him. The gold member stuff gets me and, and talking in front of the team about celebrating together and, and and all the hard work that goes in and the gold zone, like all that stuff. I really, that was my kind of my my underrated uh, part of last night's episode, but definitely favorite was just Rogers kind of reeling people in. Let's go do this the right way. I'm going to get pissed off and then we're going to go down the field and score. <laughs> Dad, what about you? What was your favorite moment from the episode? Yeah. Oh, there's so many good moments. Uh, I, I love the, um, I, of course, definitely love the the Aaron Rodgers moment there. I think the the cool part of about all of the footage that they have is like what the coaches do, and yeah. I think you can kind of see what they were talking about in the beginning of the offseason when they were like, "Yeah, this is like having another coach out there." Because uh, I think one of the frustrating things about um, coaching a young team often you see is that coaches are like, "I have to game plan," but I then I also have to manage your attention, your expectations and everything like that. And it's, it's a lot, right. And having somebody like Aaron Rodgers out there to just kind of translate their frustration, I think is perfect um, because you could even, like, even with uh, I think it was a previous episode, Randall Cobb's like, yo, if you don't, if you don't get that right, he's going to get pissed off. Like just get it right. Right. And it's like, that's like, it's not a like a, 
it's not a normal thing, of course, on any on any team that you have like a veteran player saying like, don't get don't get this guy mad. But it's like, yeah, you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and he has expectations. You got to figure out how you're going to meet the expectation. And you can tell in those moments where he's frustrated, everyone's just kind of listening, right? Uh, and he's just like going on a tire, and everyone's just like, like waiting for the advice, waiting for something to come out. And they're like, oh, what's he going to say? What am I trying to? What do I? What do I get out of this? What do I do? Um, and it's cool to see because the coaches don't have to do that. The coaches can just game plan and figure things out. And I like the, I like Nathaniel Hackett's relationship with him because of like his general nature. <laughs> uh, it just meshes so well with Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is straight up telling them like, that's not going to work. That's a stupid play. Uh, and and he's like, <laughs> you know, he just kind of waits it out, <laughs> waits it out, waits it out. And then sometimes he's right. Sometimes he's wrong. And it is what it is. And he just keeps it moving. Uh, so I, I think it works really well. I think that's probably a lot of what other coaches would not be able to deal with or get frustrated with or will, you know, feel salty about when, when the player leaves and then leak things about them. But the, <laughs> uh, I think that's where him and Nathaniel Hackett work really well together is um, Nathaniel Hackett is not going to be like pissed off about like, oh, Aaron doesn't agree with me. He's just going to be like, well, if it was a good play, it's going to work. If it's not a good play, it's not going to work. And then you just keep it moving. Oh my god! Yeah, listening to Hackett talking for the entire offense is just hilarious. Yes. He's just like he's like, look, we we all have had you know our our jokes about him, especially from his time in Denver, and it's like I get it, but like it seems like he's really beloved, and that's been something that was said about him, you know, long before he took the Jets job. That like players really connected with him on a personal level because he's very relatable. He tries to make it fun versus like, you know, he doesn't seem like the, like a curmudgeon like Bill Belichick who it's like, you know, he has his pencil and he's just, he, if you don't do something right, he's going to yell at you. And it's like, it needs to be this way. He's like very you know meticulous. It seems like Hackett is really willing to, you know, talk to the players, understand their perspective. He's a younger, he's a young coach. I think he's in his early forties. And that's something that like shouldn't be lost like in translation with these things, because ultimately to me, it's like, how can you connect with players? And that's always like the one thing that Salah I think does really well. And I think the staff also is, you know, a reflection of that. And that's what Salah like was looking for and how he put the staff together, even from like when he first started to now. And it's like, it's a, it's a refreshing thing because football's evolving. And I don't think you need to be like the Mr. Tough guy, you know, uh, Timmy tough nuts, whatever people like to say, kind of like it, like a Joe Judge, where it's like all those things. I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. Though, right? And oh, you're right. I, I think that they try to let these guys be loose and understand that, like, mm-hmm. it's just they're they're a different generation. Like, they're on their phones and like they're more relaxed. They're not necessarily going to be like these like guys who are going to be like super like I don't know focused every second. And they have to figure out a way to make things more fun and relatable. And I and I really do appreciate that. So you know, kudos to Martini Nate because. It seems like as weird as he is, the guys like him. And, you know, if his offense is scoring touchdowns every week, I don't think anyone's going to care how it comes about and during the practice week, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Russo, this was something that you wanted to talk about. This is the best Jets team on paper since for you to start. For me to start. Okay, well, I love questions like this. I love – obviously, I love nostalgia. This comes down to two things for me, really – in in my lifetime, the the best teams have been 98-04. I'd sprinkle 0-2 in there because that team really made a, a very nice run. And then you got 0-9 and 10. Yeah. I think the two that it comes down to for me are 2010 and 98. And I really think the, the question becomes like, how does the defense compare overall to those two teams? And then is the gap between Aaron Rodgers and the quarterback that we had? bigger than the O-line gap 
right? Because I think the O-line probably on the 98 and the 2010 teams were, were, bigger, were better than what the O-line uh, is now. But I still think on paper, this is the best Jets team that we've seen. And I think the quarterback just makes that much of a difference. And I go back to like the magical years that we've experienced with quarterbacks as Jets fans in my lifetime. Is Vinny Testaverde in 98? He threw 29 and 7. It's Fitz in 2015, as magical as that was. He threw 31 and 10. And you got Pennington in 02, had a really, really nice year for those, what, 12, 11, 12 games. He threw 22 and 6. That would be like a mediocre year for Aaron Rodgers. It's crazy. And, and that's like the alarming thing. So, I mean, listen, they haven't played a game yet. I don't want to get out over my skis, but on paper, from a talent perspective, from a skill position perspective, balance when you factor in how good this defense can be this defense could be 09 2010 level good it's just different right dan like you're not going to send the house i mean rex's mo was i'm going to blitz one more guy than you can block this is going to be totally different but could it be better it might be i mean because i think like the, the you think about even just the the defensive backfield as a whole could be better than what it was with revis and you know either cromarty or leto shepherd whoever else is over there so really i think this could be honestly the best jets team on paper that i've seen in my lifetime if if they if they stay healthy and things shake out but right now at this point that's kind of i mean the one comparable is 98 and that team was ridiculously good but i mean what are your guys thoughts that's am i am i putting the cart before the horse probably a little bit i'm excited but i really do believe that um, i'm gonna give this to dan and i'll and i'll cap it before we do record predictions you're not <laughs> wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh Honestly, the, the defense is perfectly created for the modern NFL. Yes. Uh, I think you'll see they get to match up. Of course, the Chiefs game is going to be really fun. I think that will tell a pretty big story there because I think that the best teams in the AFC, they match up well with them because of what they built defensively. I think the other side of the ball, the difference of the quarterback is, like you said, it's it's monumental. There's there's never been anybody like the Aaron Rodgers that's come in and play quarterback for the Jets. Um, they have a better running back room that they've had in a super long time. People have done like faint comparisons to like the oh when they brought in LT, it felt kind of similar, similar yeah. type of vibes. But the lead back is better than when they brought. In LT. I mean, listen, Sean Green so, isn't in the same stratosphere as Brees not Hall, even right? Close. Like, so, no one's saying Dalvin Cook is LT, but Sean Green and Brees Hall aren't even comparable. Like it's ex- not even close. Exactly. So it, it's. On paper, yeah, it really might be the best that we've seen. And I don't think we haven't had a wide receiver of Garrett Wilson's caliber ever, ever, ever. Right? Not that I've seen. I mean, I, Brandon Zance, Marshall Zance hates Keyshawn, but no, like, Keyshawn... I don't stop. It's not true. It's not true. But ninety-eight Keyshawn was incredible. But yes. I, I mean, Garrett Wilson could be better. Is better in my opinion. He's he's going to be mm. better than Keyshawn. Keyshawn mm. said that he's better than him. He already said that. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's true. The man is humble. He gets it. Um, yeah. But I will say, for in terms of best Jets team on paper since, because we're saying since, I'm actually going to say 2008. I think the 2008 mm. team was actually more talented low-key than 2009 or 2010. 2010 was just a better coach team, and obviously, you know, a lot of pieces came together. But that 2008 team was – nasty like they were uh if brett Favre doesn't get injured you know right. probably the, they could have went to the super bowl i mean chris jenkins was a beast like people don't forget how good chris jenkins people forget how good he was true uh, so that's like something to think about revis was young he wasn't obviously as you know oh nine peak revis but 
that team was insanely talented and obviously Rex inherited and added some pieces of guys he likes like Bart Scott. Um, 98, I was young, but I know that team is obviously amazing and you know should have made the Super Bowl as well. But yeah, I, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that like just from a top to bottom perspective, when you look at everything, like the, the biggest hole in the Jets is really like uh, linebacker and safety at this point. And like Dan said earlier in the show, linebacker is really not that important to this team. Obviously, Mosley is. And if he's not there, it's going to look a little bit different in the middle of the field. But to me, like this defensive, I've never seen a defensive line that's so stacked the way this one is. Like every single guy in the Jets defensive line could start on another team. Like even the last guy. So like Solomon, uh, maybe not Solomon. <laughs> everyone, everyone. <laughs> but he has fought. He has started in the past. Plus, right. started last now, year. <laughs> eh, I, I, debatable. But to me, like, uh, Michael Clemens is probably starting on another team. I think that, you know, JFM obviously starts on any other team. Um, I think, Al, I mean, Al Woods and Quentin Jefferson, I think both were rotational starters in Seattle. So it's just insane when you think about that. And I, I'm yes. so excited. And, I, I, you know, week one can't come soon enough. But yeah, it's it's just crazy all the hype. And the one thing I wanted to touch on before we do quick record predictions before we wrap the show is this is something interesting that I actually really didn't know about. And Connor Hughes brought it to light yesterday on Twitter, just talking really about the state of the team as we head into week one. You got to give the Jets staff a lot of credit for really revamping what they're doing from a medical science perspective. I don't think that that's been talked about enough because. I remember when Gase was here, we everybody was getting like soft tissue injuries every single practice. Like, do you remember there was a point we didn't know who was going to play wide receiver, I think, in 2020 because every single guy was injured? Like, Mims, I think, missed the entire camp. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like there was always something. And, like, the only guys that really, I would say, who are, you know, players on the team that are actually injured right now is Carl Lawson and who's the other person, right? Is it Schweitzer? Like, that's it. Right? Who else? Am I missing anybody? I guess Dwayne Brown. Well, like yeah, just coming, I mean, yeah. But like, think about that. Like, the Jets have always been like this. This guy will get hurt if he comes to the Jets, and they've revamped everything they're thinking about. And it's, I think that they approach things differently. And we used to kind of get on them, especially with Makai last year, and they've changed that approach because yeah. he seems like he's in a really good place mentally, and it's just not something that's talked about enough. And I want to give them credit where they deserve it, and it's just a really pleasant thing that. As Jeff fans, we've not really seen because they've always had terrible luck with injuries up until this offseason, knock on wood. It's a very good point. It is. And I think, yeah, yeah, that 2020 year, I think we tried out uh, Chris Hogan as starting wide receiver in the first week, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah, I think, obviously, it it needed to be done. And and credit to the staff. I think that's a a very good point, Stephen, by by you and Connor Hughes. Yeah, I I took it from him, but I I just wanted to give him some credit for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So last segment of the show, record predictions. Dan, you go first. What is your record prediction for the Jets in 2023? So this is my prediction, and I can't guarantee I'm sticking to it. Uh, but if I get off of it, I it's going to be better. I, this is like the floor here, and it's going to be 11 and 6. Uh, I think 11 wins is very reasonable for the Jets. I think they have a tough start to the schedule. I think if, as like every Jet season, there will be some – Surprise wins and some surprise losses. Yep. Um, uh, but I think 11 to 6 is very much in reach for them. Yep. Oh, okay. Russo, what about you? I re- 
<laughs> I'm just beaming with optimism right now. I really, there's a big, big part of me that wants to go 13 and four, but I'm going to pull it back a little bit and say 12 and five. I don't think it's crazy. Uh, a young team, new quarterback. It's a new offense for everybody outside of Aaron Rodgers. So I think you have to factor that in with the really a tough start to the schedule. So it wouldn't surprise me if they start like three and three and then kind of hit their stride as the schedule softens up a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I, re I really do want to say 13 and four, but I, I think it ends up shaking out at, at 12 and five, but I think they give the AFCs to run. I, I really do. Cause I just, I, I, I'm not, when you talk about it and I'm, I'm getting on a soapbox here, I apologize, but <laughs> it's okay. I really, I think Buffalo is going to take a step back. I, I, they're still going to be good, but I think they're going to take a step back and I'm just not a believer in Miami and, and Tua. I don't think Tua can stay healthy for 17 games. So as good as their weapons are, I just don't think it matters as much. And it's, I mean, it's a great year when you can really talk about New England being in the basement of the AFC East. So I, I think the Jets really could make a run at the, at the division, but I think 12 and five is where it ends up. Okay. So I, I'm going to stick with Dan here. I think 11 and six is the sweet spot because it gets you over that double digit win mark, which we've been desperately craving since 2015. Um, I do. <laughs> I know. And I think that they are going to be a work in progress on offense. And the, I, I'm highlighting this actually in a, in a piece for Redlands. And I think that they probably will start closer to three and three. It is a tough first six games, but I do think they'll surprise and steal one of the ones that we don't expect, maybe Philly or, or um, Kansas City. Uh, but I do think over time, it's, it's going to be similar to what you saw with uh, Brady in his first season in Tampa. It was a kind of a rocky start and people were questioning, you know, is this going to work? And then over time that they really hit their stride and won a lot of games in a row. I do think they will have one late in the season stinker against a team that they should absolutely beat because one, that's the Jets. Number two, I think that every good team always has a game that they lose that you're like, how did they lose that game? Kansas City lost to Indianapolis, who was horrific last year. So I think that they're going to have that one game that we're all going to be like, how did they lose that game? And it, like, that's just the way it goes. But yeah. 11 and six. And I think the offense continues to improve week over week, even though there'll be some bumps in the road. And I think we're really going to see Brees Hall take off really as the month of November hits. I think that's what he's going to start to look a lot like the guy that we saw, you know, in that stretch, that four game winning streak they had in 2022. So I'm excited, but it's, you know, <laughs> nothing's happened yet. So we've got to yeah. see it before I believe it. Right. The, the good part about that first six, those first six games is that those real tough ones are all at home. Buffalo yes. at home, New England at home, Kansas City at home, Philly at home. So that makes you feel a little better because you you figure kind of, you know, maybe some things just go in their favor and, and being the home team gives them a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. But I agree. I don't think three and three are, you know, really is, is out of the question there. But that first six is going to be they're going to be tough. Yeah, I agree. Dan, anything you want to plug for Buck the Trend this week? Any Anything before we wrap? Ooh. So uh, tier list is going to come back. As I mentioned, um, probably going to be a corner, Greg, this week. When it will drop uh, is a little up in the air, so I'll let you know. We might actually do a double episode this week, so be prepared for potentially two really quick Buck the Trend episodes uh, at some point in the next seven days. But, um, yeah, uh, we're going to finish up defensive coordinator tier list and then might do a little bit of uh, – either head coach or might do some randoms because I know that everybody loves that first oh, pod. So love it. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, make sure to check out Dan's pod on the Badlands feed, Buck the Trend, typically on Fridays, but as you said, it might be a little bit different because the season is coming up, 
Also, make sure to follow him on Twitter for that amazing D-line breakdown, especially when you have the film clips once the season comes into work, at Jets and Jal of. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this show on YouTube, youtube.com slash at BadlandsTOJ, or on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, wherever you get it. Turn the Jets live. And obviously, make sure you get uh, Badlands if you're not a Patreon subscriber. Season preview guides coming out. A lot of great content. It's basically every single day, and you can't really beat it. We appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you guys soon.